0: Everyone. Welcome to the Revolution Podcast. We're the high school ministry at the Church at Rocky Peak, and we'd love for you to join us in person on Saturday nights at 5 30. For more info about the ministry and upcoming events, find us on Instagram at HSRevolution. We hope you enjoy this time of teaching from God's Word. Hey, what's up, Revolution? Nice to see you. My name is Tim. I'm our high school pastor. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Remember that next week, just like Ricky was talking about, is Second Saturday, and we do Second Saturdays, one, because, of course, it's fun to have fun, but two, so that you have a reason to bring up someone who could benefit from being here for the very first time. Or maybe there's someone who you know used to be coming all the time and has kind of drifted away. It's a great reason, a great excuse to get someone up here. We're going to be celebrating Christmas. We're going to be talking about the reason behind Christmas. It's, it's Jesus. It's G- Jesus is the reason for this. For the season, uh, we're going to be having a great time. It's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, but but we do second Saturdays so that we can be practicing part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, which is sharing His message of hope with people who need it. I know I need to be reminded of it constantly, and we want to do this as a way to help share that. And so, just a reminder to be thinking about, praying about a little bit of maybe who it is that you know could use a little bit of extra Jesus in their life. Uh, and so, we want to make sure that we're extending those invitations, even if we're constantly getting shot down for those. want to be inviting people to come hang out. Of course, people are welcome any Saturday, but those second Saturdays are especially geared for that. Uh, I am going to uh, pray for us, and we are going to jump in to a brand new series, a Christmas series that we are starting tonight. Jesus, thank you for drawing us to be here today. Thank you for giving us a reason to put lights up on houses and to decorate. Uh, God, thank you for the power that you have over this world that, uh, gosh, God, so much of the world economy revolves around celebrating your birthday. Um, I pray that that tonight that we walk away with a, a bigger appreciation for just the impact that you've had in this world and the impact that you can have in our lives. Would you meet us through scripture and would you... Um, God, would you open our eyes just more so day in and day out uh, to, to the truth of who you are and, and your love and plan for us in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had someone share their excitement for something with you and they were so excited for it that it got you excited for it in turn? Right? Maybe something you had never thought of before, had never heard of before. Maybe something that you had, you know, you had seen before, or heard of, and it just wasn't your your cup of tea. But your your friend or someone you were close to, they were so excited for you for that that it changed your mind all about it. Uh, this week, we're talking to we're you know we're talking to our kids, trying to figure out Christmas list stuff. Uh, my wife's already done a bunch of buying, and so she's kind of double checking, making sure she didn't buy anything that someone because it's the worst when you buy a gift for someone they open it and they're like. Oh, right, and so we're, you know, we're checking, making sure, and so we're talking, we're talking to Lily, our middle child, our only daughter, and we're like, Lily, what do you want for Christmas? Lily's like, well, I asked my friend at school, I asked Scarlett what she was getting, what she wanted. I want a balance beam for Christmas, and we're like, what? A balance beam? Okay, so she'd been talking to her friend. Her friend's taking gymnastic classes, and her friend wants a balance beam, and went on and on and on about how great it would be to have your own balance beam at home and be able to practice all of those really cool gymnastic things, like standing on one foot on a balance beam, and so it talked about how cool it would be to have a balance beam, and so now Lily, the biggest thing, the thing that she wants for Christmas the most is a balance beam. This this wasn't even on our radar. This wasn't on her radar, but she talked to Scarlett. Scarlett was excited about a balance beam, and now, bam, Lily wants a balance beam, and guess who's probably going to be buying a balance beam? Because that's the way the world works, right? But have you ever had someone talk to you? Maybe it was a movie that you saw a trailer for, and you're like, It feels kind of, it feels kind of mid. Like I don't know if I'm going to go see that. And then someone tells you it's the greatest movie ever, and it's going to change your life. I remember that happened to me as a high school student when a now classic Napoleon Dynamite came out, and I was like, that looks like a pass to me. Uh, And then my friends dragged me to see it, and I was like, or I'm going to be quoting that for the rest of my life. Uh, And that, that happens sometimes. Maybe someone is super excited about a piece of a piece of music, an album, an artist. Maybe someone is telling you about something that they've experienced that they're excited for, and so then it gets you hyped up for that same thing, That's just a part of the human experience, to to be able to, to almost absorb someone else's excitement for something that before that you weren't even considering about at all, right? And so in this series, as we get ready for Christmas, we're going to try to tap into that phenomenon just a little bit, right? Because what what is it when you think about Christmas, what is it that usually gets you excited and and, and pumped for Christmas? Uh, I know for me, like sometimes it's the, the time off, right? Time off of work or time off of school. It's like, oh man, like it'll just be nice to just take a breather for a little bit. And man, those those couple weeks of Christmas vacation, like that is a reason for joy. And maybe... Maybe it's the gifts, the stuff that we're planning on getting or the stuff that we're planning on getting. Sometimes it's the family time. Sometimes it's the food that we know is coming. Maybe grandma makes a killer cookie filled with like jelly in the middle, a little coal cut out of it or whatever, and you're like, man, I can't for grandma's cookie is so good every year. Whatever it is, there, there are reasons that we get, there's usually a variety of reasons that we get excited and we anticipate Christmas. For some of us, that starts in September. For some of us, that starts in October. For some of us, we don't let it start until after Thanksgiving, but there are So many reasons to be excited for Christmas, and I would say for most of us, we don't get hyped about celebrating Jesus' birth, which is what Christmas is about, even though maybe we know that that's the reason. The season it's just so catchy you can't not you can't get away from it uh, we, we know that Jesus is why we have Christmas we understand the story that's been told before we understand that that yeah the, that nativity set is more central to the story than the Christmas tree and the Rudolph are, or the elf on the shelf, but we get most excited about so much of the celebration because the celebration is what we get to enjoy most frequently. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we want to tap into a little bit of the excitement that goes with what Christmas is really all about, not to diminish our excitement in those other things, because it is fun to spend time with family, and food is great. And thank you jesus for time off and and all of those things are important things but there is reason to celebrate what jesus came to do there's a reason that 2000 years later christmas is the bigger biggest predictor of the world economy that people inside and outside of christianity celebrate a specific holiday that it that the world shuts down at this time of year because a specific event happened. And so what we're going to do in this series that we're calling The Promises, we're looking at promises that God made in the Old Testament about the coming of Jesus, about what Christmas would mean, so that we can get a little taste of why people would be so looking forward to the coming of Jesus, so that we can be reminded of what it is that we have to celebrate, why we can have joy, why we can, why we can rejoice because of what God did as a part of Christmas. And so the very first place that we're going to be turning in this series is the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And so first I want to kind of set up a little bit of of what exactly that we're looking at here. So we're going to be jumping into Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bible with you, you can start turning to Genesis chapter 3. If you've got your phone, that's a great tool too to to open up the Bible and turn there. Uh, You don't even have to have the Bible app downloaded. You could just Google it, Uh, but the Bible app app is nice and handy. We're going to be going to, to Genesis chapter 3. And so up at the, at, to this point in the story, there's only been two chapters. And we've seen God create everything in existence and have him do it wonderfully systematically. And we watch the way it's even, even the way that it's poetically arranged in Genesis gives us this idea that God has designed everything incredibly intentionally. And at the end of his creation process, he creates humanity. He creates Adam and Eve, and he puts them in this special garden that he's kind of carved out between, in this kind of square between four rivers, this place where he's made it incredibly peaceful and and gives them the job of representing him in the world, and that their job is going to be to extend kind of his rule and reign and that peace outside of the boundaries of that garden And they're going to do it by having kids and by being his representatives, his image bearers is the the word that it uses in our Bible for their job. And then he gives them one specific thing that they're not supposed to do. He says, look at all of this food that I've made for you. Look at all this stuff that you can eat. Hey, this one tree over here. This is the tree I don't want you to eat. This is the tree that if you do eat it, you're going to then have, have knowledge, experiential knowledge of evil, of both good and evil. So stay away from that one tree. And Adam and Eve get to enjoy a relationship with God, where they get to walk with him in the garden. They get to know him and be known by him and have nothing between them and him. And yet there's this one day where this serpent shows up, which in the story If you were reading it back when it was first kind of presented to people, the original audience would have recognized this is not just some animal that God has made. This is a a physical representation of of a spiritual being that's coming to undermine what God has set up and starts tempting them and pointing to that tree and being like, "Mm, doesn't that look like it would be good? And you know what? God's just holding back from you. He doesn't want you to become like him. He doesn't want you to experience what's best. He doesn't want you to have what's good. God's trying to hold out on you because he's not really good. Uh, You should just go eat from that tree. And so Eve first with Adam there silently with her. Eve takes the fruit and she eats it and she hands it to Adam and he eats it. And then they experience consequences. First, they feel this great shame come over them. Because the experience of evil oftentimes is making a decision that we think is good for us. And then the result is internally, we notice it brings disharmony inside of us. We, we can tell that it's now something inside has shifted and things aren't the way that they should be. And they go, they, they hear God coming to the garden, a familiar sound, and instead of running, wanting to run to him and spend time with him, they they hide. He, he finds them, and they start this conversation, and he starts unpacking, hey, here are some of the consequences. Here are some of the things that are going to happen because now evil has come in to my creation. As my representatives, you've allowed it to enter in, and hey, so work is going to be difficult. Work was supposed to be fulfilling, And now it's going to be incredibly difficult. Hey, your relationships where you were supposed to be partnered with one another, now there's going to be a a power dynamic at play and you're going to want control over each other. And so he starts unpacking some of the things that we see play out through history that are a result of sin entering into the world. But then in this moment, in their darkest moment, in maybe humanity's darkest moment, because this change for Adam and Eve changed everything for us as well, in that moment comes God's first promise that their fall, their disobedience, and the consequences because of that aren't going to be the end of the story. And so we see that in Genesis 3, verse 15, as God kind of shifts from addressing, he's addressed Adam and he's addressed Eve, and now he shifts over to address the serpent. This evil spiritual being who has come in as God's enemy to pull away God's image bearers from a relationship with Him. And so God addresses the serpent, and first He he talks about how the serpent's gonna slither on the ground, uh, which many people think is a way of of God kind of talking about He's gonna limit the powers and the abilities of this spiritual being, but we're not we're not digging that this week, maybe a week in the future. Uh, But Then he says this in Genesis 3.15. He says, And I will put enmity, right? It sounds a lot like the word enemy, and it's related to that same idea. He's going to make enemies between. God's saying, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This, theologians call this verse the proto-evangelion, which is a really fancy way of saying like the the pre-gospel. It's the first inkling, the first hint that we get in the entirety of the Bible about the story that God is going to unfold. God promises that someday someone will be born from Eve, so a human being that will crush the snake, right? That personal representative of evil, the fallen spiritual being, but that that human would suffer a, a bite, a wound from the snake. Right? Adam and Eve had wrecked their relationship with God, But there was hope. And Maybe even you're here today feeling like you've ruined any relationship with God that you've had, or any hope of having one with him, that he's too perfect and you're too flawed. But God has promised a way for evil to be vanquished and to remove what stands between us and him, that your relationship with him could be restored. And there's hope from the very beginning of the fall. God doesn't let a chapter go by in Genesis before letting us know that he has hope, that there's a plan, and there's a promise that someone would come. God promised a son of Eve would crush the enemy. And so if you're reading the story like you've never heard it before, right? Now, most of us who are sitting in this room, we're familiar with this story. But if you're reading the Bible for the very first time, if it was a, a novel that someone handed to you, uh, if it was a, a new movie series that was coming out, uh, the next thing that we see is that Adam and Eve are pregnant. And they, they don't have one son. They have two sons. And so if God just promised a son of Eve would come and crush the snake, he'd be like, here's a son. Go crush the snake. Like, let's see it happen. But very quickly in the story, we see that it's not going to be either one of these sons because one of them decides to murder the other one. And so it's not the dead one. He's not the promised one. And it definitely isn't looking like the murderer is going to be the one. And then we see, unpacked all the way through Genesis, we see we see these people who come up and it's like, oh, is this going to be the person that God has promised? Is this going to be the one who's going to come and remove evil and going to be the solution to the problem that, that has come up in Genesis 3? Or we see, we see Noah, right? God uses Noah as a savior for just a handful of people while bringing his judgment on evil in the world. And you're like, oh, is it going to be Noah? And then Noah goes and gets all drunk in a tent and has his own moment where you're like, oh, it's not Noah God calls a man named Abraham, calls calls Abram to move out from his father's land. And God even begins to unpack more of a promise with Abraham. And he gives this promise to Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 1 the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, right, where he had grown up, where his dad had lots of, like, lots of land and lots of servants and could have lived a really comfortable life. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And then God God promises, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then God Unpacks right because at this point you're like, oh, is Abraham gonna be? Is Abraham gonna be that blessing? Is he gonna be the one to, to to remove and crush evil? And then God unpacks a little bit later in Genesis in chapter 22, and and through your offspring. Literally, it's in the original language through your seed, right? So from the line of Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. God says that He will bless the earth through one of Abraham's kids, right? Not just bless the family, not just things are going to go well from you, not just I'm going to make you a nation and that nation is going to be blessed. He says, I'm going to bless the entire earth through you, through one person who comes from you. I don't know, maybe when you look at the world right now, maybe you don't see a reason to hold out hope. Maybe when you look at your life right now, It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of reason to hope. But God has promised that he would send a blessing on the whole earth through one person who's coming. In God's promise, we have hope that evil and tragedy are not the end and are never the end. That there is always a better end to the story, even when it's at its most difficult and so that's the story up through the middle of Genesis. If we follow along through Genesis, we start looking for that one that God is going to send. We're following the story along. It's the first time that we've heard it. We don't know who the answer is going to be. And so we're, we're kind of getting our hopes up. Okay, like God's, man, God is unpacking this promise. Okay, it doesn't look like it's quite Abraham yet because he keeps kind of messing up and lying and doing these different things. Okay, maybe it's going to be his son, Isaac. And no, that's not Isaac. Maybe it's going to be Jacob. Ooh, definitely not Jacob. Jacob has a bunch of sons. Joseph ends up kind of helping the family transition into Egypt. You're like, oh, is it maybe going to be Joseph? At the end of Genesis, it reaches this, po- this point where Jacob, who's received the promise that's come from Abraham, he's the carrier of the promise. He gathers his whole family and he starts blessing his different sons with these different promises. And you would, you would think that Joseph, being the one that had kind of like collected everything, that he would get the best blessing. And yet, Jacob grabs Judah, one of his other sons, and says that someone is going to come through the line of judah and so passes on the blessing there and so at the end of genesis we're left wondering okay it wasn't any of these sons of eve it wasn't any of these guys who god had promised you read through the rest of the old testament right moses rises up man powerful leader a little bit of a hothead kind of commits murder you're like ooh, great leader Probably not the one. Joshua rises up. He's Moses is second in command. He's leading the nation into the promised land. You're like, okay, a leader, promised land, maybe it's going to be Joshua. Joshua doesn't complete his whole job, and they reap the consequences of that for generations because Joshua doesn't do his job completely. You get the book of Judges where all of these leaders, God rises up in Israel in order to protect his people. Each and every one of them is flawed, sometimes in amazingly dramatic ways. And God's goodness stands out in stark difference to the evil of his people. And yet he is faithful to them and protects them. You look at all the different kings. You have their very first king, Saul, hot mess. You get David and you're like, man, David seems pretty great. He's a man after God's own heart. Man, it could be David. David could be this one that we've waited... Then he does a couple things, like commit adultery and get one of his like soldiers killed because he committed adultery with his wife and it gets it gets messy in there. And then you have you have David's son Solomon, and you're like, man, here's this promised son. Here's Solomon. Maybe it's like he's a wise king, he's a powerful king, he's got all of these riches, and yet ultimately at the end he is, he's selfish and he walks away from God. And so if we walk all the way through the Old Testament, and these are just some of the stories that maybe we're familiar with. If we look all the way through the Old Testament, there's almost this theme that carries from Genesis 3 all the way through where you're asking, is this going to be the promised person? And as we keep walking through the story, God continues to kind of promise these different things. And through this series, we're going to look at some of the different things that he promises specifically. But by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament, you've been waiting for God to send this promised person who's going to crush the serpent to destroy our biggest problem, to destroy the the source of evil that exists that stands between us and between God. And you're left at the end wondering like, man, when is that person ever going to come? Until... Christmas. Christmas is the turning point. Christmas is the point that for generations and thousands of years that people have been waiting for. It's such a big turning point that studiers of the ancient Old Testament from a far-off land, they pack up camels with gifts when they start seeing the signs that point to the coming of this king, and they come to offer gifts. It's such a big thing that two people who are incredibly old meet this child and sing random praises to him as his parents are coming to dedicate him to the Lord. It's such a big deal that God sends his own angels to announce it to people who would have been thought of as as very far away from him. In Luke chapter 2, there's a moment that happens with some shepherds on a field that's reflected in the song that we sang earlier. And it says that there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. A title that means anointed one. A title that hearkens that back to those promises of a, of a coming king who would stand in the gap for all people so that they could be reconciled to God. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts. So a ton of angels appeared, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The filling on your note sheet is this. And it's super simple, but I think incredibly emotionally impactful for our ability to stop and celebrate Christmas is that Christmas is what we've been waiting for. Christmas is what we've been waiting for as, as a human race who feel the problem with the human condition on a daily basis, who look out in the world and see strife and anger and fighting and disconnection, who when we consider what a good God's view of us should be when we have those moments of honest clarity, looking at our own heart, are filled maybe more with fear than with joy. That the thing that we've been waiting for since Genesis 3, when God said that there would be hope and that he had a plan, Christmas is what we've been waiting for. And we'll get to unpack in this series more of the promises that God had made and why they give us reason to celebrate. But what I want us to catch is that Jesus is the answer to the biggest promise that God has made. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament, that everything things had been leading up to, that this is the focal point of history, a turning point in which the world would never be the same. And quite honestly, even if you were just looking at it from a historical viewpoint, you take all of the talk, all the theological talk, all the talk of God and sin and everything else, man, Christmas is a huge turning point. And then you start plugging in our relationship with God around that, and we see this is the central thing. That what we celebrate at Christmas is the beginning of the greatest event in history, that Jesus, the Son of God, came as one of us to rescue a rebellious and evil people. Me and you. And so what are some of the things that Jesus does as an answer to the promise that we've been looking for? One is that Jesus destroys evil. That Jesus destroys evil. Jesus comes to be that person to smash the snake. He was the one who was promised who would come and crush the head of the serpent. And the Bible says that on the cross, when Jesus died for my sin and yours, that what he did is he disarmed the spiritual powers of the world. That there was a a real power and a, a real claim that evil had over you and I. Because we were broken and we were rebellious and we had run away from God. And yet Jesus came and he broke that power by being the one to suffer in our place. He took away their authority. He pays our debt. And he begins the transformation process in our heart that results in us now wanting to do what is right instead of wanting to do what is selfish and wrong. The second thing is that Jesus is a blessing to all the earth, Jesus is a blessing to all the earth. The promise of Jesus is available to everyone, not just the Jewish ancestors of Abraham, not just those who are raised in the church, not just those who are close to God or who are good people or are good enough, but especially to those who are far away from him. Jesus came to restore any and all who would turn to him. Those who would acknowledge their sin, their evil, who would ask for his forgiveness, that he won for us on the cross, and who would choose to live for him. That Christmas is a reminder that Jesus came for everyone. Because it's an answer to the promise of God's blessing for all people. And so it's not just a celebration for us. It's not just a celebration for the church or for Christians or English-speaking, westernized people in the world that's closed and locked off to everyone else, right? If you think about a lot of holidays, it would be kind of weird if everyone celebrated Yom Kippur or if everyone celebrated Hanukkah or if everyone celebrated Diwali or Ramadan. Those are, are holidays that are for specific people groups and for specific religious groups and have their own stories and their own reasons behind them. But Christmas, Christmas is an open party. Is the invitation to blessing through Jesus is available to anyone, that everyone has a reason to celebrate at Christmas because the God of the universe saw them and came to rescue them. And he did it humbly as a, a small child to step into their shoes, to know what it is, to experience what it is, to be one of us. And Jesus has brought peace on the earth peace between humanity and God, peace between brothers and sisters in Christ, and one day at his return, peace to all the earth. And so as the band comes up, there's one thing that I I want you to think about. And this kind of came to me as I I was taking a walk around the campus earlier this week, and I was like, okay, God, like, Christmas is awesome. And I am so glad that Jesus came and I am incredibly glad that he is this answer to these promises that have been given to me. What does it matter? What it, how does it affect my life today? And so it's a little weird, but here's what I've got for you. You're not the one who's going to step on the snake's head. I know, I said it was weird and I meant it was weird. You're not, you're not the one who's going to crush the serpent. Let me explain that. You're not the one who's responsible to destroy all evil. I think many of us decide to take responsibility for our own sin into our own hands. For some of us, that's by justifying the things that we do thinking that we can handle the consequences of our actions without Jesus, not realizing the destruction that we're bringing into the world today and the destruction that we're headed for eternally. Some of us turn to Jesus for forgiveness, but then never escape the feeling of guilt in our day-to-day for the choices that we've made. We're always trying to improve and then always falling short and finding ourselves crushed because we're not able to handle the weight of our own sin. You can't fight even your evil in your own heart on your own. The same as Adam and Eve weren't able to do it, and God had to promise another who would come. We need someone else to fight for us. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 6, it says that he who began a good work in you, that Jesus, who suffered and died in our place and forgave us for our sins, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And if you're trying to manage in your own life your evil and your impact on others, and you've been holding that in your hand and you've watched how you make decisions that end up hurting people in the long run and hurt yourself in the long run and you recognize that there's an evil in you that's too large for you to handle on your own, I wanna encourage you to to turn to Jesus, that you can always turn to Jesus. And it might feel like you don't deserve it and you might worry about his reception of you but you should know that none of us deserve it. And yet he receives us all the same. And our job is simply to ask for his forgiveness and to step under his leadership to receive the ultimate gift of Christmas, which is someone who came to step into our place so that our relationship with God could be restored. And if you've been beating yourself up for your imperfection, remember that God knew, even before you did, that you couldn't be the one to beat the serpent on your own. That you could not be the one to best evil in your own life by your own power. That Jesus came to do what you couldn't. And even still today, he is the one who has the power to grow you beyond what you can do on your own. And so now is the time to celebrate what he's done and to live the life that he has freed us to live. As we go into this time of worship, I want to encourage you to to make use of the prayer wall that we have back up there. Or to grab a staff person or one of the students who's on the prayer team hanging out back there and ask them to pray for you. Maybe there's an area in your life right now where you recognize that you can't handle it. And you need someone greater, bigger, more powerful to step into that. This is our time to ask God to do in our lives what we can't do because he knew from the beginning that he had to have a special plan to help us overcome the situation that we were stuck in. And this time of year is all about celebrating his answer to that plan that he sent Jesus when without him there would be no hope. Now we have hope and we have joy because he's come to us. Jesus, I thank you for being the answer to the promise. God, I thank you that those promises that you made, that you showed yourself to be trustworthy, they weren't empty promises, they weren't nice ideas. God, that when you promised that one would come and suffer in our place, that you knew from the very beginning it wasn't just going to be one of us, that it was you who would come, who would step into the gap, who would pay the cost, who would suffer in my shoes. I pray that we would keep that at the forefront of our mind, that we have waited for all of history for Christmas to happen, and that we have great reason for joy and celebration. Because you came as our rescuer, even as a small baby in a manger. In Jesus' name, amen.